Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! There was time now. There was, was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this is, uh, look, on the day of recording, it is Mass Effect Legendary Edition Day. Yes, uh, so that means we gotta record fast. I got some, some Mass Effecting to do. <laughs> right, yeah, all the chores you have to do before you can get back to it. Um, fans of this show will know that Mass Effect is one of our favorite science fiction settings. Um, basically at its best in the classic Mass Effect video game trilogy. Well, all three video games have been re-released uh, with a graphical and some gameplay update for the uh, for the modern consoles and PC. PC one's a little more complicated, but neither here nor there. What you need to know is that these games are touched up and ready to be loved again. They're ready to to get out, you know, ready to ready to open their hearts to find to old old friends and even new people. Like, look, if you haven't played these yet, go play them. I'm just trying to find a fancy way to say that. If you have played them, uh, you can pay a bunch of money to play them again with better graphics and some fix ups. Yeah, and especially the first game. The first game is at least 15 years old at this point, and I think even on release there were aspects of it that were not ideal, but it's always been a game that's story first, and the story is what kept people going and kept bringing people back to it, but now that they've had a chance to go back and redo elements of the first game, apparently it's a much better experience. But I think the story, like you said, that is the key to it. The thing about Mass Effect is as much of it's a fun sort of role-playing game, space adventure, uh, the key was the incredible story, the incredible characters, the incredible dialogue, just this this universe that they brought to life in a way that very rarely happens these days. And uh, we thought we would celebrate that a little bit today. Uh, it is just me and Graham in here to get you that concentrated dose of Mass Effect enthusiasm. <laughs> Yeah, um, the the last time we did a Mass Effect episode, it was all about the romances, and that's one of the, the fun aspects of the game, which is you you pick your character. You can be a male shepherd or a female shepherd, and then there are relationships you can have with crew members based on that choice and how you interact with everyone. There's some people who are, are straight, some people who are bisexual, and some people who are homosexual, and, and the whole gamut is available to you with the, a certain selection of characters. I like how you, your description makes this sound like it's a dating game. <laughs> it kind of, I mean, I don't want to undersell it, but that was an appealing part of it. Just like I, I, the, one of the conversations you would always have with people is who did you romance and like, why did you choose that person? And, and it is a deceptively large part of the game. And that's why it was our first list. Just talking about the different people you could romance and, and who the top five were. Now, this list is also character-based, but we're, we have a whole new set of criteria for it. Just great characters. Who are these characters that are in this game, this very well-written game, and why do we like them so much? Well, let's hang off just for a bit. Let's just to be clear. Um, we strongly have recommended playing this game for all time. Uh, since before we started doing the show, but definitely <laughs> on the show. Uh, however, just to be advised, spoiler alert. 
Um, now, each of these games is long. It's like 40 or 50 hours per game, and they're three games. So I don't think we're going to sit here just going over, and then they said this, and then this happened, and then this happened. We're not going to give away the whole plot, but we'll still be discussing major plot points, major character development points, major choices. So a heads up, on the off chance you haven't played Mass Effect before, now is the time with this release. And you can consider this sort of a commercial for it, but there may be some cool stuff for spoiling for you. Spoiler alert, it used to be our tagline, it still applies. Heads up. Yeah, for from my perspective, I'm I'm... I'm going to go mainly on what it is about the characters I like. I'm going to try and avoid plot details as best I can, but I, again, definitely there will be spoilers happening here and there. So, are we ready to get going now? Let's do it. My number five is Legion. Ah, Legion is on my list and a little <gasps> bit further up. So we'll, right, have, your num- we'll have to discuss num- that when we get there. My number five, I put in Liara. Okay, she didn't make my list. There we go. Okay, Liara Tassoni. Um, definitely, like, in a cast of several dozen, like, definitely one of the major characters in this game. Um, I really like Liara. I really liked her as a romance option. I really liked her for her character development. Um, I'll skip to the end. The reason she's down at number five on my list is because I also feel like, as a consequence of being such a key part of the story, you have the least option to sort of affect her development. Mm. Um, the way Liara develops is what happens in the story, and you can sort of bend it one way or another, but like other characters, you know, you can make them good guys, you can make them bad guys, you can inadvertently cause their deaths. Liara is pretty much stuck with you know, on the same arc till the end. So I'll put that out there right now. As much as I like this character, Mass Effect is a game about choice and change, and she doesn't quite fit in. However, the arc that they give her is so cool. I love how her character grows. And yeah, I'll, I'll try to stray away from all the points, but it's going to be hard to describe. <laughs> But like when you like Liara is in all three games, when you meet her in the first one, she sort of plays the like eccentric intellectual archetype. You know, she's really comfortable when she's talking about science stuff and like her alien research and all that jazz, but she doesn't know how to relate to people and and they like they get away with not making her also a damsel in distress most of the time because Mass Effect is a world where they have basically like some people have force powers. That's the quick way to explain it. Mass Effect calls them biotics because there is a base in more in technology than in, you know, faith in the force. I was gonna say faith of the heart. That's just <laughs> wrong franchise. Yeah. Um, so she can take care of herself with magic, basically, but she basically starts off as a shy nerd. And then stuff happens to her, and it, by, in, by Mass Effect 2, she's she, she describes it better than I will, because she has 120 hours to do it, but she goes from archaeology to being an information broker, and it's sort of the same deal. It's you know, uncovering hidden bits of information, but she sort of joins a criminal network and grows a backbone. And by Mass Effect 3, at the end, she's sort of an action hero of her own. Um, and like besides the fact that she's sneaky and smart and like the person who's always in control, but also kind of a badass. And watching her sort of grow up 
through the lens of the other characters. I I, I love that arc. So for me, I, one of the key differences between my experience with Mass Effect and yours is that you've played it multiple times all the way through, right? And you've you've sat and watched other people play it through. I yeah. have I have only done each game in the series once. So my experience is a singular path. And, and as we talk about stuff, I'm sure there's going to be interactions you've had with characters that I didn't even know were on the table just because I've played it once in this game, like Jesse said, is very much about choice. And one of the really cool things about it is choices you make in one game have huge consequences in later games. And it's mind-boggling to think of the, the hoops they had to jump through when writing this stuff out. So... For me, when I was playing Mass Effect 1, there's there's really only two romance options. That's her or... Everything for you revolves around the romance, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't romance her, and so I didn't have the same level of interaction with her as I did with some of the other characters. And you can frankly... get to know a person without wanting to sleep with them, Graham. <laughs> I only played it once. I had only one option here. <laughs> I And I was like, I really want to make sure, I I think this was my thought process anyway, I really want to make sure I have the romance with this specific character, so I'm going to completely, like, shove off anything, in, so I don't even accidentally romance Liara. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, it's a video game, that can happen. Uh, but I also just kind of found her boring. Uh, she's not, like, her personality didn't draw me in and and uh and when she returns in later games she's she's cooler and i always enjoyed when she popped up again but as important as she was to the universe she was never to my mind as important to the ship again as she was in that first game and so uh, she, she became like an acquaintance where i was like oh it's real great to see you and then you know you do your thing with her and they're like all right we'll see you later and then you go on with your life so I mean, I, what I'm I, what I'm hearing is because I didn't sleep with her, I wouldn't find her very interesting. No, there are. I mean, pl- that's what you've described here. <laughs> like the rest of my list is people I also didn't sleep with, and I found them more interesting. So okay. you know, spoilers. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like yes, I agree. She's boring in the first game, but that's her arc. She starts off as the shy, quiet nerd who sort of is the exposition machine, but then like the Shadow Broker DLC in 2, I Okay, look. I mean, I know we're not going to try to we're going to try to stray away from events, but this is like you've like you've killed the like the ultimate head of every spy in the galaxy, like the head of the mafia of spies. And there's that awesome scene where he has it all hooked up to a computer, and one by one, all his agents are reporting in, like, "Oh no, our system's down. Our our carefully planned criminal empire is going to collapse. What's going on there?" And the emotions on her face and like and the twist like when she steps up and she like turns on the voice thing and uh this is the shadow broker, everything's fine, I've got it under control, and you're sitting there in the audience going, Oh my god, what did she just do? It's like, yeah, no, I think I'm gonna try this running a criminal, like international super spy network for a while. I think this is probably what's best for like the the what it meant for her growth in that it was so cool like those moments she had to be boring to start to make those moments cool and then by three where she's just like you know she's executing Cerberus troopers and just I just 
the the growth is the key. I think the stuff that you found boring, I found boring too, but it needed to be there to mark the transition. I, like she turns into someone awesome at the end. I mean, that's all fair, and I I, I am agree a- with that. But it was just she she wasn't as near to my heart as some of these other characters were. Well, we can work with that, I suppose. <laughs> all right. Anyway, that's uh, so. What's your number four? My number four is Joker. Oh, didn't make my list. Okay, so he is so in the course yeah. of the game, you, you not build the Batman up a, Joker. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully. Uh, but in the course of this game, you you build up a squad and a team, and they go out and fight. And and I think most of when we say favorite characters in these games, those squad mates tend to be the things that come to mind. They're the people you interact with most. They have story arcs that go through the across the games, and and you you go out and fight battles with them, and they're very important. Joker is not part of your squad. He is the pilot of the ship. And yet he's one of the few characters that carries through all three games and has a primary role. You you spend a lot of time on the ship, and so the pilot of the ship is important. Also, he's voiced by Seth Green and is delightful. He's he's this sarcastic, sort of bitter joker. He, he makes funny quips, but he's also kind of a jerk. Uh, he's He's got this uh, brittle bone condition, so he spends, especially in the first game, almost all of the game just sitting down and he's he's I think part of his humor is is pushing people away and allowing him to be by himself and over the course of part two and part three of this series he develops an attachment or depending on your choices he can develop an attachment to another crew member and a romance can blossom and it's a very unconventional one and it's so fun to watch that character grow especially since your character is one of the few characters that he really likes, and and so you feel an attachment to him. You're you're one of the few places of uh, camaraderie for him. Like you're you're his the closest thing he has to a friend. And I just love watching his progress from this this bitter guy who is just all cocky about his piloting skills, and watching him change over the games and and like willing to sacrifice himself for the team and for you it's it's a great transition and i i I really love his character i was initially gonna dump on it but when as as you're describing it like that relationship is one of my favorite sort of b plots in this in the series um are we are we trying to talk around it can we go ahead go ahead okay Yeah, yeah what what happens is he basically he falls in love with the ship's sentient ai and it's, for a little while, it's played almost like a joke. I mean, it helps that the sentient AI is voiced by Trisha Helfer. Uh, so it's it's kind of funny, but then the AI, like, basically gets an android body and becomes more of a real person. And they, and a, like, a long arc over a lot of the game is the two of them figuring out what that means. Like, what does it mean for them to be in love and be together? And how does it work, you know, mechanically? Uh, but also, like, like, what do what do emotions mean in this context and stuff? And watching that relationship, that is fascinating. Like, both because on the level of how well it's acted, but also from a sci-fi perspective. Like, what an interesting sci-fi story. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm taking your arguments about Liara and just turning them around. Because <laughs> I did feel like initially it was just, like, 
it felt like Seth Green was the pilot of my ship, not this, not a character in Mass Effect. It was here's this comedian that I know that I recognize from Family Guy and Robot Chicken, and he's in Mass Effect. Like it didn't, it didn't I, seem to fit right. I hear you. I, I always found the the note of bitterness in so much of what he said was was what differentiated them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was I, I was less interested than you, but that's purely a palette thing, I think. And yeah, who he is at the end of the story, I'm, oh, I don't, I, I think he's one, one of the few people who's guaranteed to make it all the way to the end. Like, even is, Liara isn't guaranteed to make it, depending on your choices, but I think he's such a cool the, thing in this game, like, they're, they're like important characters like Liara may not even survive through the whole series. Some characters that can't make it all the way to the end of the series, it's possible they don't make it out of game one. It's such an amazing feat, this whole thing. Yeah, ah, and the way the consequences roll. It's it's interesting. But yeah, I especially with the ending that I that I favor, the the Joker E D thing is really cool. So yeah, I was initially a little skeptical, but I get that. I totally understand that being your four. So uh, I do know that there are like like again my one playthrough that romance did blossom. Have you done playthroughs where you discourage that or or it I just did. doesn't happen? Wow, it's heartless! How can you do that to these people? I really like Mass Effect. I went through. I'm. <laughs> it's a big game, and with those changes like branching timelines, like you'd you have to play it a lot to see absolutely everything, but. I mean, I think I can say I've seen absolutely everything. <laughs> I've got a lot of time into this world. It's, it's, uh, it's again, just like how different it all is. We've all played games where you make choices and there are consequences to it, but the consequences largely are either it changes which of three endings you get or it's written in such a way where you can see how something can be carefully cut out and it's not a, a big deal. But with this game, it's huge, huge consequences. Ah, all right, I'm going to stop. Uh, what's your number four? My number four is Legion. So now we can talk about this. Okay, you take the lead. Okay, so Legion is a geth, which is this franchise's cool AI uh, thing they they do something a little bit different with their evil AI. Like when you first run into them, it it's it seems very sort of Cylon basic, like they're robots and they don't understand organics and they're shooting us with their robot lasers. Um, but you get to know Legion through this intensely complicated thing, which we don't have time for here. Um, and basically, what you learn is that the way the Geth work is. They, Mass Effect's theory, like, what they, what they posit is that consciousness is an emergent property. And so you take the idea of, like, you have a program that controls the robots to clean your house, and a program that does math, and a program that does, you get enough of those programs together, and a consciousness emerges. So the Geth are sort of a species that work kind of like the founders, the changelings from Deep Space Nine. Whereas, like, the Geth are a collective program made up of lots and lots of different programs, but they can also split some of those programs off to do their own thing. And they jump into, like, what we would call a body. Uh, they got a, a word for it. It's like a, a, like, what like a unit or a form or a... But, like, a word that clearly implies that, like, the bodies that they use to interact with the physical world are, like, you know, a tool. It has nothing to do with who they really are. 
And you, this one gets the name Legion because you're trying to figure out how to relate to it. And somebody does the biblical reference that like, well, this is person actually is like, uh, I think he says it's 1,183 different programs make him up. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, and it, they, I guess, also have a lot of character development and evolution, which you're, I'm sure, fan people, fan, I'm sure people who are listening to the show who don't know this game are sort of picking up as the theme. Um, and they, they do sort of a data thing with a like learning how to function as an individual and stuff. Um, but they start off with the cool, like, here's the cool, cold, emotionless robot commentary on mankind and how creepy us organics are but also with this air of like curiosity and wonder that I found was really cool and the conversations with it and learning how the geth society work are just such an interesting concept that like I could just sit and have that conversation and debate AI issues with it for hours when like the game wants me to be running around and shooting bad guys and stuff you know yeah yeah, he's a great character, and I, I love his design. There's something about this. He he doesn't look like, or it doesn't look, or they don't look like the the rest of the Geth. And they they their head is uh, kind of a light, but there's other lights that make it seem like it has eyes and a, a mouth, and it it can adjust its form so it has seems like it has facial features. It's got a big gaping hole in its chest and it also where you can see these like little lights going up and down in it, which I guess are some of the consciousnesses. And then there's a piece of armor from from your armor from the first game that's part of it. So it already feels kind of like it's part of you as soon as you you encounter it. And it, it could be seen as creepy or or it can be just seen as um, like it's, it wants to be with you, wants to be your friend. And uh yeah, like you, you can ask it about it, and it's evasive. But eventually, you get the impression it sort of like not idolizes you, but it sort of like it, it like it, it empathizes. Like like it's it like it, it it wants to wear what you're wearing. Like I don't know how else to put it. You know, it's like the yeah, like the same like the way some people would get the same haircut their favorite celebrity has. Yeah, so it's it's I I had this was one of the few action figures from the game that I had just because it was so neat I I really glommed onto it. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't spend a lot of time in the game. Like it's not around nearly as much as the other characters, and so that's why it ended up at number five for me because I I have a huge soft spot for it. One of my favorite tropes in fiction is the bad guy from one game that becomes a good guy in a, a subsequent game or movie or comic book or whatever and and you're never quite sure if you can trust it or not but you really want to give it that shot like loki or magneto and legion is is just like that he's he's basically seven of nine a, a borg that becomes human and becomes part of the crew and you know legion never becomes human but does become a part of your crew very quickly and you know again like spoiler alert i guess but yeah like the Depending on your choices, it either stays a cold, unfeeling robot machine that can become a bad guy in a couple of different points, in a couple of different ways, or like on the completely opposite end of the spectrum, it can fully actualize. And there's a point where like people could discuss, like it, it finally starts referring to itself as I, as the mm -hmm. you know, all the different programs achieve a sense of indiv individuality and like become a living thing. And just it's. Oh, God, it's so cool. 
Okay, well, should we move on? Let's move on. So my number three is Morden Solus. Is also on my list, but higher up. Okay, all right, what's your number three? Yeah, we got similar tastes. <laughs> um, I have another non-playable character for my number three. I have the Elusive Man at number three. Okay, I I do not, and we'll get into why, but uh, okay. go for it. Uh, the Elusive Man is arguably the antagonist of the series, um, but there's more certainly, than one. Certainly candidate. an antagonist. Certainly, well, but then it's like he's kind of on your side for most of two. Um, the, the Elusive Man is the cigarette smoking man from X Files. Uh, if you were alive and watching TV in the nineties, if he were in space, and if he were played by Martin Sheen. And let, let's get that clear right out of the gate. A One of the best things about this character is that he's played to perfection by Martin Sheen. Yeah, um, and he looks like Martin Sheen, except, you know, probably younger and, and fitter than he was when he actually recorded the lines. But he, right. other but yeah, than the that, character's model, when you see that character's face, it's the face of Martin Sheen. Yeah, that, he's it's very much his performance. It's his voice. It's his facial expressions. It's, yeah, it's him doing it. And... Like, yeah, he's a fantastic actor, and it comes through really well in this game when we first see him in Mass Effect 2. Uh, but he is sinister. He is the he is playing the role of, like, the evil puppet master from behind the curtains. But he always has a justification. Like, he's not evil for the sake of being evil. He absolutely believes in what he's doing and just that the ends, like, justify the means. And any means are necessary. And, like, a couple of times early on when you're working with him, he very clearly sets you up. And then you can confront him and be like, you set me up. Like, I walked into this trap that you knew was a trap. And he goes, well, yes, but I was pretty sure you'd be able to handle it. And if I told you it was a trap, you wouldn't have gone. And now that you've gone, we've accomplished this thing and learned this stuff. So it worked out in the end. What a and, jerk. And, and he he does it better than I do, obviously. <laughs> but you can go through that major arc with him kind of on the fence of whether or not he's a good guy or a bad guy. And then at the end of two, and one, one, of, one of the few disappointments of Mass Effect is that no matter your choices, you do end up on opposite sides. Because I would have loved to play through a quest chain where you just you decide to go with his vision. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. It, yeah. It's Especially in a game where they, they stress the Paragon versus Renegade uh, choices, where basically you can pick to be a good guy or a bad guy. It seems like it would be you know, totally within the realm of possibility to take a path that sets you up to be on his side. Yeah. So not having that is kind of why it's a little bumped down the list for me. And also that at the end of the game, and I won't, I mean, spoiling this would take like to explain it would take longer than we have. (laughs) So I'll just say that toward the end of the game, they take some agency away from him, which I thought was a shame. I thought was a poor choice. I think they, yeah, let's leave it at that. They take some agency away from him, and it sort of deflates the character a little. But his performance and the bravura and just the, the sinister motions he goes through are so compelling. And it's just so visually cool. And just to, to have this like this young Martin Sheen with his weird cyborg eyes and his fancy suit and cigar, like sitting in his space office over that, that big sun. Like, it's such a cool, sinister look and... 
and, and you know he's messing with you. You know it, but you also kind of trust him. Even though you know you shouldn't, he does it so well. It's a very cool character. He is. He is. I can't argue any of that. He's great, and I loved every interaction with him. And, and, and just watching a Martin Sheen performance, especially one that can go for hours and hours because it's a video game and not a movie, it, it's, it's a treat. He's fantastic. But... He's the leader of an organization, uh, Cerberus. So it's the the you end up working with them, uh, kind of against your will in the second game, and they're they're the Mass Effect version of horrible racists. It's it, it, they're xenophobes, and the one of the things in the the game is there's always tension between different alien species, and he is you know if he were on earth today he would be like a america first sort of guy he's a humanity first guy everything has to be about the betterment of humankind as opposed to the betterment of all of the galaxy together and he's since he's a space racist it's really hard for me to to elevate him uh, on this list to be like this is a guy that i think is really cool that's there's other characters like you know ashley doesn't make the list for similar reasons yeah but i mean like that's like that doesn't take away from his cool like the like that takes away from I wouldn't want to be his friend. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean go go for it. I'm just saying you know that's like saying I wouldn't want to put Darth Vader on my favorite Star Wars characters list because he killed all those kids. It's like, well yeah, he did. But like as a like he's still a cool character even though he's done bad things. Like those are two different ideas. You're right, you're right. And that's true. I guess it's just that, you know, I when I play these games, I invest a lot of myself in the the protagonist uh, you know to me it's not shepherd so much as, as it is me and they're just calling me shepherd for some reason and so when i've been when i play and there's characters that are exposing these like horrible perspectives and opinions i i reacting as i would and it's hard for me to to distance myself from that and appreciate the character on its own merits without seeing it through my own eyes yeah i can see why you wouldn't want him around sure <laughs> I um I sort of expected you to bring this up, but I'll toss it in too. Another reason he doesn't get higher is like a big thing about him is his mysterious origins, like what's going on, like for all of this to come together, and it's done really well in the games. But they like as sometimes happens with tie-in products, they have just gratuitously exposed every second of his background in the Mass Effect comic books, and they are singularly terrible. <laughs> ah well i uh yeah i i started reading the comics i don't remember if i got to the elusive man stuff or not it's the sort of thing where i read them once and they kind of completely mass effect comics are great we can say as people who love yeah. mass effect we can say that but this especially it's heinous it's exactly what you expect it is it's it's the elusive man but when he was a little kid and how <laughs> he gets where he is and he just happens to keep bump like bumping into cameos from other characters from the games and it's right just, oh it's brutal so i'll grant you that there's an unfortunate blowback effect on the character from these comics that like since that's such a lousy story and has done so much and like look like it, it affects the actual character yeah it's it's like how the sequel movies don't seem so good now that we've seen rise of skywalker it's sort of fed yeah. back and made force awakens and last jedi worse same thing so the elusive man does suffer there and that's why he's sort of in the middle of my list 
I just while we're on the topic of these uh, sort of expanded universe aspects, the novels, or at least the first few of the novels, were actually really good. And I think one of the writers of the games, if not the head writer of the game, also wrote the novels, which which helps. Those were the so, David Anderson books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I enjoy it. again. I don't. I read them once. I don't remember everything that happens in them, but I remember enjoying them. Yeah. They're they're yeah they're better than the comics. Yeah. Okay, should I do my number two? Hit me with your number two. I am going to go with Tally. Didn't make my list. Wow. Wow. Well, I have a feeling I know what your last two are then. So Mm. Tally is a a quarian, one of the uh, alien species, um, and she's voiced by Liz Soroka in all three games. She's one of the few characters that can actually be a major part of your team in all three games. And uh, one of the things I really like about her is she's she's just very sweet and enthusiastic. And she comes from this brutal background to her, her species. It's like a whole anti-pollution message, I think, and like anti-AI message. They are they screw up their planet and they have to flee. And this whole species is just living on this fleet and desperately trying to find a home world. And because they are on this isolated environment of recycled air and recycled everything they're really prone to illness and so they're always in these protective suits and one of the mysteries of the games is what does tally look like under her suit and i think originally you never actually saw that but they did some uh, added some some thing at the end of part three where you get a glimpse of what she looks like under the suit and of course it was disappointing after 60 hours of gameplay nothing was gonna live up to it well, and, well, but let's be clear on that. We can spoil that. Like, what they did was they went to Shutterstock and got a stock photo and basically tinted it so she had alien-colored skin. Like, it's not just that it was disappointing because of the buildup. It's because no effort went into it whatsoever. I think one of the things people are hoping to see changed in the Legendary Edition is to see if they've redone that. It is ext- I cannot stress. It is literally a stock photo. Yeah, yeah, like and they've done the bare minimum work to to change it and make it look slightly alien, which is not what was pitched to us, you know. Yeah, she, not in keeping with the content of the rest of the series, for sure. Yeah, and disappointing, especially in the the first game, the aliens really came in all shapes and sizes, and by the end of part three, it was getting sort of the Star Trek syndrome of everything was vaguely humanoid. And and that's what they did with Tally. Anyway, way off track here. She's yeah. so so they're a very isolated community. These Quarians, and uh, she's reached this age where she has to go out into the world and and find something. They're they're kind of a scavenger race, and the idea is all their their young people have to go out on this miss- mission and bring back something of importance, something that's useful to the the fleet and whether it's a piece of technology or an experience or something like that the idea is they have to go out and it's a a coming of age ritual and so she goes out and joins your team and helps save the galaxy and her character growth over the series is amazing you know she's this little more than a, a teenager in the first game doing this this coming of age mission, this whole idea of of growing up, and by the end of the series, she's one of the if she survives, she's one of the leaders of her community. It's it's such a fantastic progression for her, and by the end of the series, by again we're going back to the romance. Uh, my, you got a single mind there, my friend. <laughs> the the character that I had decided to romance. 
was very important in part two, but doesn't really factor into part three at all, which I, I was disappointing. And by the end of the game, I was like, I, I, I had spent so much time with Tally that I really liked her. She was just this great character, had this great attitude, and I, uh, if my plan was if I were to play it again, I would try to romance her. And I don't know if that's going to happen this playthrough, but I'll keep you posted. But she <laughs> is just... We're all waiting with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> she's a fantastic character. And, and uh, she's she keeps the ship afloat and has fantastic interactions with everyone else in the crew. Everyone seems to really like her, except for, you know, Legion. Even Legion doesn't dislike her. They just are coming from very different perspectives. Uh it's great. She's a fantastic character and and uh, really uh, sweet and um, such a bright light on the ship. You know, there's so many characters, and even she has this horrible dark background of her her species is is decimated and and living this horrible life. But she is always this beacon of optimism, and I, I really appreciated that. And I think I'll appreciate it even more doing it in this pandemic. <laughs> right. You could use a little tally optimism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that arc is really good. Um, they do a good job of growing her up, but without losing the optimism. The yeah. like like yeah you know, with the well you haven't romanced her so you wouldn't know but like you at one point you can like basically you're sitting with her watching the like the space equivalent of like romance novels like and she loves these things like especially the musical numbers it's sort of Bollywood <laughs> and like your character's line is I love that you love this right because like, it's this terrible ridiculous <laughs> Harlequin romance musical movie. And at this point, like she's she has grown up, she's leading her own cool squad, she's like making decisions that affect her entire race, but she can still be this cheerful, optimistic, like I wanna say silly girl, but that sounds pejorative. Like I mean it in an endearing way. She's endearing. Yes, very and that, endearing. And that makes it even so much cooler when she meets Legion. Where, I mean, like, this isn't too much of a spoiler, but, like, the, the Geth and the Quarians, like, they, like, the Cylon comparison works out. Like, the, like, in the metaphor, the Geth are the Cylons that the Quarians made that then rose up against them. And as far as, as Tally's race is concerned, like, these AIs, you know, murdered them and forced them off their home planet. And you fit, and you come on, and you're like, hey, this one's gonna join our crew, and cheerful optimistic loves everyone tally like you know pulls a gun and the negotiation there and the two of them figuring out how to get along and then in the third game a huge arc is learning more about what's going on between the quarians and the geth and what actually happened and what it actually means and them learning about each other like tally is a lens for that is phenomenal I think I think when I that happened in my playthrough, I was so devastated. And, uh, you know, if you've played the game, you have to expect something like that's going to happen because you know the relationship between the Quarians and the Geth. But I was still like, why can't you just get along? You're two of my favorite characters, please. <laughs> now, we've been heaping praise. I'm trying to think why Tally has never interested me as much as a lot of the other characters. And... In any other franchise, video game, whatever, like, that would be sort of a dig. In this game, like, it's just that the bar is so high. 
That's true. Um, and honestly, when it get right down to it, and like this is a me problem for sure, but I think I just don't like kids. And <laughs> like this isn't something I have hidden, but something about the like the juvenileness of her kind of got on my nerves. And that's not an indictment of the character or of the actor or of the writing or anything. It's just something that didn't sit well with me. It it it, it bugs me whenever we're on like it's like it's a dangerous mission and the, we have a bunch of professionals together and the fate of the galaxy is at stake and and here's this 15-year-old who's out of place like it's it's like the Hoshi Sato of, of like from Enterprise she's the Hoshi of of Mass Effect and it bugs me yeah, within the first six episodes of Enterprise, I think there are two about, like, well, Hoshi doesn't even like space. It's scary. <laughs> and it's like, F off. It's yeah, a show well, about space. <laughs> I I agree with Hoshi because it's like Enterprise is a, it's a, the first, well, not the first, but it's. Yeah, as, as we, don't, we, we start fetching about Enterprise. Well, well I'm just going to, just making my point here in, in Tally's defense. With with Hoshi, she's part of Starfleet. She's this is what the job is like. They they, it just doesn't doesn't make sense. And it's like, well, if she doesn't want to do it, there's a hundred and fifty billion other people who can do it, and and maybe not as well, but they'll do it without being whiny and and in the way. Tally is is trying to do the right thing, and and your crew ends up being like a ragtag crew, so she fits in better in that sense. At she's much better than Hoshi. It is an insult to Tally to make that comparison. <laughs> Thank but, you. But just the the juvenile bugs me personally on a personal level. It's it's a me thing. It's not you. It's me, Tally. <laughs> I just uh, don't like that personality type, and it, it just it, it rubs me the wrong way. And that's all. <laughs> okay, so what's your number two? My number two. I went with Erdnot Rex. Well, I mean our. I think I we're going to be doing some back-to-back here. Cause, yep, okay. Uh, this happens. You and I are too similar. <laughs> so I had Rex at two and Morden at one, and you had it the other way around, right? No, I have Rex at one and Morden at three. Oh, okay. So then what's your number two? My two is Tally. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can't count today. <laughs> it's okay. It's that kind of day. It's a long week. Yeah, so we got Rex and Morden to talk about Um, this, is, like, very popular choices for top of your favorite character lists, I'm sure. Um, here, and I'll take one. You take one. Who do you want? Uh, I'll do Rex. Okay, tell us about Erdnot Rex. Uh, so when you when you he has an amazing arc, and and a lot of it is is shrouded in mystery at first. But he he's a mercenary and a bounty hunter. When you encounter him, he's he's a Krogan, which are they're kind of like humanoid dinosaurs. They're violent and angry and and just very capable and and strong they've got these thick hides and they live forever they've got these very long lives and they're like they're like klingons if they drank less and were more buff yeah and were more uh, less honorable more violent yeah less honorable and and even more violent yeah so they're they're like willing to do anything they they hire themselves out and and they they're just they want to kill stuff and they're really good at it and he is rex is probably one of the best at it and as the game goes on you find out that he is uh, has been 
he's been away from his planet for 300 years. He's been doing this stuff. And the reason for that is because he disagrees with the choices that's being made on his planet with his people. They're all divided into factions and they're all just scrabbling around to, to survive and, and to continue fighting and killing. And there's this disease or virus that is going through their species. And only uh, a few of them, only whenever someone gets pregnant, only like one in 900 babies are viable. And so they're dying out. They cannot, they, they have, they used to be able to breed like crazy, but, and reproduce like crazy. But uh, with this virus, they, it's just not happening anymore. And it was a uh, uh, deliberately done to, to limit that species because they were too violent. And, it's kind of sad. There's, there's, it's, and it's a complicated moral quandary. That's the one of the great things about this series. There's so many weirdly moral, ethical debates that are are in this game. And so this is a species that was violent and causing so much chaos throughout the galaxy. And then they're given this disease that limits their ability to reproduce, and to the point where it's it's a genocide. And you uh, get opportunities later on to like, can you do you want to undo this virus and save this species? But if you do, are they just going to go back to their old violent ways? And Rex is one of the characters who's trying to make his species a little more manageable and, and bring them back to a place where they want to do things, not just because they like to fight, but they're going to fight for the right reasons and concentrate on making themselves better in the meantime and he's a great character and you you find all this out as he's just sort of sitting sharpening his knives in a corner of the ship and you just go and you keep talking to him and you find out more and more about his people and about him and he the growth from just this sort of gruff mercenary to this leader of his species is so fun to watch and and it's an arc that changes so much based on your decisions even in the first game yeah, that's an important note. Like the there is a strong chance Rex doesn't make it through the first game. You have to do several things correctly. Uh or or Rex has to be put down and none of these changes for his people ever happen. It's crazy. On uh. the other hand, you save him and he's a major character for the next two games and there's entire arcs dedicated to his species and like so much can change. That's very cool. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's another Krogan that is introduced as part of your team in part two, and uh, I don't know, for some reason he never really uh, grows on you the same way that Rex does. Grunt is his name, he's a genetically engineered Krogan, and he's he's fine, but for some reason he can never quite dislodge Rex from your memory. Yeah, Rex is, it's, again, he's written in a way to make him endearing. Like, the, like once you go through his, like, the other end of his character arc in 3, he becomes that Klingon best friend. Like, we've talked about this when we're talking about Star Trek, how the Klingons start as the Russians in Star Trek. And then by Next Generation Deep Space Nine, they're sort of portrayed like, like dwarves. <laughs> with the drinking and the singing and the like all of that like they they become like your best friend bar buddy rex becomes the same way he's still this incredibly intimidating badass mercenary but he just loves being around you and your crew so much and he's 
not the kind of person to hide those feelings. Those come out immediately. <laughs> and it's just a joy to have him around. And like a big complaint initially about three, like even in two, he won't join your squad. Like he's he has a big role, but you can't actually play him in the game. So in one of the major DLC components for three, like the stuff that they added on later, they let Rex join your squad for a while. And like the way he introduces himself in that one is he like he jumps out a window and headbutts a shuttle and destroys the <laughs> shuttle. <laughs> yeah. And shows to... up and is just, hey Shepard, what's like who are we fighting? What's going on? <laughs> Just to make the the uh, Klingon comparison even greater, Michael Dorn does the voice of of a different uh, Krogan in the in one of the games. Oh, does he play Reeve or does he play the shaman? Oh boy, putting me on the spot. I don't. Yeah, you brought it up. Ah, sorry. It was just a, a additional factoid in the back of my head. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I mean, that's clearly there, and they got Michael Dorn for that voice for a reason. Um, I'll try and look it up here. Um, Okay, no, he plays. Oh, he plays Uvang. He plays the other clan leader, uh, right? The, the one that you have to, the one that you have to kill if you do Grunt's uh, side quest. If you do his like a uh, Krogan like bachelor party thing, <laughs> and killing, uh, killing Michael Dorn like that should be illegal. I mean, yeah. I, I, literally, it is illegal. But I mean, like, yes, If anyone listening to this was planning on killing Michael Dorn, <laughs> yeah, that that is considered a felony, and you will face criminal charges for that. Just a just a heads up from your friends. If you're caught. Top five. If you're caught. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, he's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also fun... helps that like he's like, like mechanically in the game. He's great to have around. Like, like to match his personality, he's a very aggressive character when controlled by the AI. So you can sort of always count on him to rush out there and draw fire, and it sort of makes it easier on you. Like it's, I mean, it, which fits his personality fine. That, like, so that's the way they programmed it. But it also helped. I mean, like it's it's useful in the game to have him around <laughs> because he's this giant, unstoppable tank of a character with yeah, a cool sci-fi ab- shotgun. He can absorb a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah, and the headbutt. Man, you can't go like every character in this game has a melee, and it's usually like you know, like a pistol whip or something. Nope, he's got that Krogan headbutt that just sends people flying. I mean, the Krogan's head is like half the size of a human body. Yeah, so he's a great character, and uh, I love having him around. He's he, his story when you talk with him gets a little tragic and uh, dark, but. Any other time he's around, especially with other characters, he's just his his banter is some of the best in the game too. Again, with that bluntness. Ah, oh, God, I mean, I'd be spoiling this for you at this point if I mentioned it, but there are a lot of different ways your relationship with Rex can go. Like, he could be your best friend, or he can seek you out and try to kill you. There, oh, like, yeah, it's it's brutal, man. That's, but but just like Rex is a source of joy for the entire series, and just. Google if you haven't had it like if you're not going to play the game just Google the conversation between Shepard and Rex at the bar from Mass Effect 3 Citadel it is <laughs> a riot All right well it hit us with uh, Morden Ah uh, where okay Morden Solus 
is the character is the scientist character. He talks really fast and about a lot like you know a lot of sciency words and because it's sci-fi they don't always mean everything. He's an alien. He's uh, the he's basically his species is loosely inspired by the greys like our stereotype alien. So that's what he looks like. Um but the background of the character is that like he's a scientist and a doctor, a medical doctor who used to be like a super special forces commando. So he's a doctor, but he's also got this ruthlessness to him that works. So when you first meet this character, he has a clinic open in, like, you know, the scum of the, of the galaxy, like in Moss Eisley, basically. And, like, someone mentions to you offhand how, like, the local gangs were trying to sort of force protection money out of the clinic. So he shot them all and then mounted the heads on spikes and mounted them up outside the doors of the clinic as a warning. And you can ask him about it, and he's very, like, just, I mean, not cold necessarily, but very methodical, just like, yeah, you know, intimidation. Like, that's, you know, that's the thing these sort of gangs understand, and sure enough, after I did it, they they knew well enough to leave me alone, and that's what worked. Yeah, he's very much a, uh, uh, the ends justify the means guy. Well, he starts that way, like every character in Mass Effect. It's a giant arc. Uh, So he's fun to have around, again, sort of because of that bluntness. Um, where and he has that tick like the way you the way you display that someone is intellectual in a piece of media is you have them think out loud, right? You have them mutter to themselves and say things you don't really understand. Like that's a stereotype, uh, and he does that. And but it's always comedic. It's always in the the, the the most bizarre. Just like you walk into a room and he's muttering to himself about you know crewmate infected with this disease. Disease is only sexually transmitted by this species of alien dog. Very curious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, should I even ask? Um, but you you get him along for his his tech you know his technological know how and stuff. He's he becomes the ship's doctor and science officer essentially. Uh, but you get into his background and. S- like basically the like, like what sounds like his like you know this, the highlight of his life was the time he spent working with other scientists basically like reworking and enhancing the Krogan genophage this virus that you were describing uh, and he puts it into the perspective of it's working like population control the the Krogan used to breed out of control it's like a race of super soldiers that bred like rabbits. Um, so this disease is like it's to help them as much as it's to help everyone else, but it's also a genocide. And initially, he's entirely on board with it. He understands the big picture, and over the course of these games, that sort of starts to break down, and it gets to the point at the other end of it. Like, and again, so many different permutations can happen because of your your choices but you can get to a point where he wants to cure it and you don't and you can say to him like what 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 like, what do you mean you used to be all for it and he just shouts like the line when he shouts i made a mistake i was wrong i admit it now and the, just the passion in the voice and just the realization of what he's done with his life and what it really like he's confronted with it and he wants to make things better now it's a huge thing it helps so much that he's endearing. He sings Gilbert and Sullivan. 
which is great. Yeah, which is wonderful. <laughs> well, like it's just a we- another weird tick of the character. And like and Gilbert also- and Sullivan sort of parodies, right? Like they're they change oh, yeah, the yeah, lyrics. Yeah. The words are all switched up to be about like yeah, like instead of a pirate king, he sings Krogan Queen. The uh, yeah, he's the very model of a scientist solarian. It's the, yes. that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um but it also that I mean, there are so many ways that choices can go, but a lot of what you would consider the like the the right choice, like the good guy ending and stuff, the the only way to do it is Morden has to die. Is I either you kill him or he sacrifices himself. And it is absolutely heartbreaking. Because for so much time, this character, he's a bit of comic relief, he's a bit of exposition, he has this fascinating background that's connected to one of the game's main plots, but as part of his redemption, or as part of making things work in the galaxy, you have to let him go. I mean, the again, some spoilers, but the only way for Morden to survive to the end is that you have to kill off Rex really early. And it's not because those two characters are in conflict, but it's just because of the choices and the way things happen. And he gets a particularly drawn out death scene, like in the you know in the best quote unquote ending, best choices. Um, it happens sort of at the end of the second act of the third game, and they, like they know they know this is a dramatic moment for this character, and it's it's we're not supposed to spoil things but losing morden is such a heartbreak because of how wonderful he is yeah great character the fast talking is is fantastic he drops words so he's got a very unique and interesting way of speaking it's he's great he's great and having a complicated morally compromised character is is just great especially when you have 60 hours to really get into the nitty-gritty of it Again, this game is is we there are so many characters we haven't talked about, and I can think of at least one that I'm shocked isn't on either of our list that we will get a lot of uh, angry emails about. But that's just how great the the writing in this game is that there is so many great characters and and characters we left off are could very easily be number one on other people's lists. Yeah, it's it's almost like it's like I was worried when we talked about doing this as the topic for an episode because it's so hard to fight over which characters should be where because it's there are no bad characters in this. There are like there is the main cast is probably about 25 characters and they're all great. Like how often does that happen? Yeah, I I think one of the reasons it works so well is because, and it's sort of up to how you play it, but you can go around and interact and have one-on-one time with all of these characters in a way that a movie or a comic book or a TV show can't do, you know, because there's there's only so many minutes in an episode and you have to deal with plot and, and a lot of characters don't get the amount of screen time necessary to to really get into them uh, you know some characters do but a handful as opposed to a game like this where you can have 25 characters that are rich and interesting and complicated and there's even DLC characters that in in some games would just be stapled onto the game and yet in this they 
are fully realized and are are a part of the universe and they're fantastic. And it's hard to imagine the game without them. Like Mass Effect 3 when it originally launched Javik was an optional DLC character. Like it's I I don't understand how the story of that game works without him in it. It's like like that's how intricately the character is right. written. It's, <clears throat> it's absurd. We, I feel like we have to talk about Garrus a little bit. <laughs> yeah, my wife is going to be furious that Garrus isn't. Uh, yeah, she's a she's a big Garrus fan. We got a big picture of Garrus up in our bedroom. At the yeah. <laughs> so give give me like a real like a one line about him. Uh, he he starts as a frustrated space cop and he ends up as space Batman with a sniper rifle. <laughs> with a that sense of humor cool. about it. It sounds pretty cool, but for me, he as one of the major characters who who is with you a lot. He's he's great, and I, I do like the relationship between them. But he doesn't have the same depth as some of the other characters. I find. I I don't know. I mean, like you get to the point like when in three, like when you're talking to him about his family and. Like, you know, wondering if they got out, and then there's the whole... Like, if if you don't romance Garrus or Tally, they'll start to romance each other, and then they have, like, a Joker, joker Edie thing going, and it's adorable and wonderful. <laughs> and the Garrus nice. romance in itself is also fantastic. There's a, there's a whole arc where, like, you're teaching him how to tango. It, like, it's... Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> Well, maybe I just uh, haven't romanced him. Maybe that's the problem. It all that does seem to be to one of your, your major barometers for this <laughs> list. Yeah. No, God, but we could be here for another hour. We could talk about Garrus. We could talk about Jack. We haven't said anything about Jack. Yeah. We could even the smaller characters like Zaid, who probably has the least screen time of any of the characters. He's still great. He's an Australian bounty hunter mercenary who'd be right at home in The Mandalorian. Uh but with his ridiculous, like, Australian <laughs> accent. Uh, and, Thane. I love Thane. He's got a great arc. Again, very tragic, as so many of these are. But this, uh, an assassin, uh, a poetic assassin. Yeah, a poetic religious assassin. Yeah, who's dying. Yeah, which is, oh, that's wonderful. That's an incredible thing. There, I just... <sighs> Just I, I I just want to talk about Mass Effect for the next hour, but I know you want to go play it, so we should probably wrap up. Yes, uh, indeed. Yeah. So uh, so look, we're we're padding ourselves here and saying we know we didn't talk about a bunch of your favorite characters, but if there's something you really wanted to point out, if there's something you really disagreed with, or even if there's something you really agreed with and just want to jump on the bandwagon, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Graham, how can they get that to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. We love to hear from you. We're doing the episodes that you request. We're getting your, your topic requests. We're getting occasionally just your fan mail and stuff you want us to talk about out loud. Please let us know how we're doing and what you want us to, to cover because that comes 
we're doing this for you. Um, and, you know, we, we really appreciate you guys tuning in. And like, it's, it's just fun doing this with you, with like-minded individuals. So thank you for, for writing in and for listening. Uh, while we're giving out thanks, I just want to say thank you again to Jamie Reum, guy behind our theme song. Uh, he's a local Toronto sort of musician and performer. You can check out his stuff at Jamie Reum Official or Jamie underscore Reum on YouTube and Instagram, respectively. Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition is out now. Uh, PS4, PS5, uh, the latest Xboxes, God knows, the X Series, Xbox, SX, X. I don't even know. They have a weird nomenclature. And for PC, um, if you haven't played them, I, I just I cannot stress enough. This is a very unique, very powerful experience. It's worth giving it a go. And if you have already played them, I mean, you know what? This is the same game. Uh, so I feel you. I'm a little on the fence about whether or not I'm going to get it. But it is an incredible world. Uh, and this is going to be the best way to play it, arguably, uh, for a long while, so it might be worth it. There is, I mean, for the pr- it's a full price game, but it's three games and DLC in one. There's something like 200 hours of entertainment in there for you, more than enough time to keep you busy uh, until we have a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham, and this has been Geek Top Five. We love Mass Effect. Go play Mass Effect. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>